0: One of the greatest gifts that's been given to mankind is the ability to communicate. To use words to get our heart message to the other people. And that's one of the the major gifts that God has given to us that sets us apart from the rest of creation. We can talk to each other. We can understand one another. We express ourselves through the words that God has placed on our hearts. Sometimes we express ourselves in very unhealthy ways. And other times we express our hearts in such a passionate way that people really get what we're trying to tell them, and it seeps deeply into their spirit, and they're connected with us. What a joy it is to be able to communicate! God gave us that ability to speak in words to one another, and words can be very powerful. They can be powerful for good, and they can be powerful for bad. It all depends on how we choose to use the words that have been given to us by God. And if it, that's how we're created in God's image, is by the ability to speak words. Remember what it says at the beginning of Genesis? It says that God spoke and heaven and earth came into being. And in the Logos, Jesus himself, God communicated with man. And this morning, what we're going to be looking at is this section in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that deals primarily with words, our ability to use words. And before we get started in that chapter, I just want to read some passages which illustrate the power of speech. They're not going to be on the screen, so you just have to listen. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. In the beginning was the word, or speech, and the speech was with God, and the speech was God. Jesus, being awakened in the boat, he rebuked the wind and said, peace, be still. When Jesus came to Lazarus too, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came forth, the spoken word. For the word of the Lord has exploded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also every place. The word exploded forth, the word of God. And finally, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will last forever and never pass away, declares the Lord. The word of God is powerful and effective. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And as you look through Scripture, you will see over and over and over that it's the testimony of the Word of God and of those who know God that His speech and our ability to declare His truth have profound and eternal life-changing consequences for us. In chapter 14, it tells of the significance of Christ's followers meeting together and saying what is true to God and what is true about God to each other in chapter 13 what paul did is he talked about this agape supernatural love of god that it's greater than any spiritual gift and how it needs to be the context in which our spiritual gifts are expressed we express our spiritual gifts out of the context of supernatural love So let's just jump right in at verse 1 of chapter 14. Paul says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. I'm not leaving. Some of you are going like, ah, too bad. Apparently my kidneys are leaking out through my nose. I know. Tell me. All right. So pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now that ties us right back to the love chapter. And that's a good reminder for us uh, that we know that in the essence of the exercise of any spiritual gift, it has to flow out of love. Remember what love was said in chapter 13. It tells us what agape love is. And it's out of those definitions of what agape love is, is where our spiritual gifts flow. But it's not only our spiritual gifts that flow out of the supernatural agape love, but everything that we do as Christ followers is to flow from agape love. Everything that we do, our entire life is to be built on this love, and it has to be the foundation For all that we do, it should infuse every decision that we make on everyday activity. It should flow out of love. The reason that we come to gather together this morning like this, the primary reason isn't to learn. The primary reason is to express our love to God and to each other. And out of that love, we should be the most generous people because of it. We should be the most gracious, caring, forgiving, truthful, compassionate people because of this agape love. Jesus said that this love is what will identify us as his disciples to an unbelieving world. Remember what he said? By your love one for another will all men know that you are my disciples. That's what Jesus said about it. That's how important this love is because it's our, our identification marker to an unbelieving world. And so this first verse says that spiritual gifts are given as a channel for love. The basic reason that we're to express our spiritual gifts is to minister and serve and it's for the benefit of other people. Your spiritual gifts that God has given to you are for the benefit of those sitting around you, just take a look. You're looking at me. Just turn around and just take a look. Look, you know, I mean, these are the people that you are supposed to express your spiritual gifts to out of love. It's for their benefit. Your gifting is for their benefit. Hmm. Now that ties in with what Paul's talking about here because he's talking about especially the gifts of tongues and prophesying. That they are to be the force, the factor, love is to be the force and the factor behind that consideration of using that gift. And that's where we get our balance. Balance is to be, love is to be the basic biblical reason for exercising a spiritual gift. Love, as we have already seen, is the urge the hunger to reach out to someone else for their benefit. That's why we are given gifts. Now, Paul says that we are to desire spiritual gifts in order that they may be a means of helping others to fulfilling the love of God. He doesn't mean that we start making a list of the gifts that we desire He says the desire is to use the gifts for the benefit of other people. They are to, as we use our gifts, they are to um, come as a betterment to the body of Christ so that we can grow in spiritual power so that there's an effectiveness and an influence not only among us but among the town that we live in. And clearly... The one spiritual gift that is most effective in that direction, according to this chapter, is prophesying. That's why Paul says, pursue or make love your aim and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Just quickly, going to ask you a question. Has anybody here ever prophesied? Just, just put your hand up if you have. There's a couple... I think that there's a, I think that there's a lot more of you that have prophesied than what you know. I think a lot of you m- might actually have the gift of prophecy, but you've never stepped into it and used it because you're thinking of prophecy maybe in a way that Paul's not talking about. And so let's kind of take a look at that because it, it, it's really interesting what's happening here in this Corinthian church. They actually exalted the gift of tongues above the prophetic gift of proclaiming the truth. And that's what Paul wants to do is to restore a healthy balance to public worship of that congregation. How many of you here have ever proclaimed the truth of Jesus to somebody else? Now put up your hand. You have all prophesied about Jesus because you've proclaimed the truth of who Jesus is to somebody else. You've had a prophetic word. You guys didn't know we were charismatic, did you? Well, obviously, most of you are Baptist. You're just kind of sitting there looking at me. If we were really charismatic, I'd say, can I get a witness? There we go. Now you guys are coming alive. The Spirit is alive in 2017. And that's what we're looking for. It's for the Spirit of God to come and work in us so that we are using our gifts the way that God intended for us to use them, it's this this gift of prophecy is not an it, it's an other centered gift, not a self centered gift. It's not for the self edification, but overflows to the advantage of other people. And and in this gifting, there are three things that take place out of it and i'm going to mention them now and i'm going to come back to them in a minute and they are the edification encouragement and constellation of others in the body of christ And, and and the reason why it's such an important gift is because it has a wider circle than the gift of tongues and it does actually more good some good is done with tongues there's no denying that that is absolutely true, but more good is done in the second. Therefore, prophecy is a greater gift. We have already seen that the gift of prophecy is not predicting the future. That may be an element occasionally, but it is basically the explanation of the presence in lo- the present in light of the revelation of God. And the closest term that we have for that is called expository preaching where you explain what the Word of God means and how it fits into the way that we live our lives every day. It's the unfolding of the mind of God and applying it to daily struggles of life. It is like standing in the gap between God and His people and delivering God's Word to them so that they get a better picture of who God is in their life and how He wants to work and relate to them on a moment-by-moment, everyday basis. That's what prophecy is. Paul says it's the gift to, to be desired above all other gifts. And now we're going to go into verses 2 through 5 where there's a little section that deals with this comparison of the two gifts as to their value in the church. And Paul begins with the gift of tongues. Verse 2. For one who speaks in tongues speaks not in To men, but to God. And for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. That's a very important little verse because it brings clarity and understanding to a widely used term of tongue or tongues. There are several things that we need to note about it. First of all, the word tongue is in reference to a language that is employed. This is the common Greek word for language. It is Reference, of course, originally to the member of the body that is used in speaking, that little organ that is called the tongue. And several references are referred to it in that way. Metaphorically, it means a language spoken by that member of the body. There are numerous instances in Scripture where it has been translated language, and properly so. It is the normal word for language, and therefore we have a clear hint right at the beginning of this discussion that the gift of tongues is the gift Of supernaturally speaking languages never learned. You don't know the language. God, by His Holy Spirit, empowers you to speak that language. And tongues are never addressed to men. Do you see that where Paul says that in that verse? It's to God. Always to God. Tongues is always spoken to God. It's the mystery of the Spirit. Now, the best place to look at that is if you go back to Acts chapter 2. When God told the 120 disciples to go to the back to their house in Jerusalem and wait there until the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. And when the gift of the Holy Spirit came upon them, there, He came as like tongues of fire sitting above each person's head. And when the Spirit fell on them, they started to proclaim the glories and mysteries of God... In other languages, to be exact, about 16 different languages that were being spoken around Jerusalem. And the people out in the streets heard these 120 people declaring the glory of God in their own native language. And it got their attention. And they said, what's going on? And then what happened after that? Peter got up. And what did he do? He prophesied. He spoke the word of God and declared to them who Jesus really was. That he came and that he died and they asked, what should we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in that instance, and every place else you look in the Bible where it talks about how the gift of tongues is used, it always points and it's always glory to God. And, and, and the reason for that is for unbelieving people to hear the glory of God being expressed in their language so they start to have a hunger and a desire to know who God is. It's really... I, I love that last little section in that sentence. The one who utters or speaks in tongues, not to men, but to God. But he utters mysteries in the spirit. Do you know what those mysteries are? Do you? I don't either. Do you know why I don't? Because I don't have the gift of interpretation. I don't have the gift of tongues. I wish I had the gift of tongues, because I think it would be really cool to be able to speak You know, like in a different language that I don't even know, that I've never learned. I have a hard enough time with English. I would love for my brother who comes back from France and always gives me some kind of loving encouragement in French. But I know it might be loving, but it's not encouragement. I'd like to give him some. Now, i got to tell you, I I really, I was playing with this this week. Because I was going to have John in April participate. I was going to have John just stand up about right now and do something in Indonesian. Just, come on, just give us a, a real loud praise to God in Indonesian, would you? Do you know what he said? We have no idea. No idea. April, can you tell us what he said? There we go. And we would all say, Amen. Because that's what the interpretations of tongues are supposed to do. When we hear the, the the tongue being spoken, we're all going like, What did he say? What did he say? And we're waiting for that interpretation to come out so that we can all go, Yeah, Amen to that. And you know what Amen means? I agree with what you just said. I confer with you that that's right. And that's that's what the gift of tongues is supposed to do. It's supposed to come, and it's supposed to be glory to God, and there's an interpretation, and it brings encouragement to the whole body, and those people who are far from Christ are going like, wow, there is this glory to God that's going on all around the world, and I need to be a part of it. And it's a great thing. But it is it is this language that has been given. And so, it, you know, what Paul does is he kind of brings it both this importance of the importance of the gift of tongues. He brings it both in a positive and a negative. He says, negatively, it is not addressed to men. He who speaks in a tongue, a language never learned, is not speaking to men. Paul underscores that. But he is speaking affirmatively and positively to god and that's a great thing let's move on to verse three it says on the other hand the one who prophesies speaks to people for their edification that's building up and encouragement and consolation the one who speaks in tongue tongues builds up himself but the one who prophesies builds up the church there's three obvious effects when prophecy is exercised in the church. The first is edification or building up. And that word edification from, from the Greek is a great word because it's a building trade kind of word. It means building or construction. A prophet really is a home builder. The word can be used either for laying a foundation which speaks of stability or retrofitting or repairing a building that already exists, strengthening it and shoring it up. So applying this word to our lives means that when prophecy is exercised, we will be spiritually strengthened and stabilized in our emotions and our understanding. It brings spiritual strength and stability to the church. That's what prophecy does. First thing it does. The second effect of prophecy is encouragement or exhortation. That means to motivate, to come to a person's side and put an arm around their shoulder, to encourage that person and to give them direction. This word exhortation doesn't mean that we're standing up and shaking our finger in the face of people and telling them what they should be doing. That's the idea we get when we hear about a prophet, that they stand up and they holler at people and they bellow out, thus says the Lord God Almighty, thou shalt, and they go on to it. And that's the idea we have of prophecy, but in exhortation. But, but exhortation means that you're on the same level as the other person. You understand that. You know that. You humbly come that way. There's no pride involved. And then you put your arm around their shoulder and you're saying, would you consider this truth for your life? It's not looking down. It's looking eye to eye on the same level. The third effect of prophecy is consolation or literally near speech, talking very closely. It means you have to get up close and personal into somebody's life so that you can you can bring comfort to that person with tenderness and hope to emphasize empathize with that person to give a sense of sensitive counsel in the time of need. Those are the three things that prophecy are to do to build up in the church, to, to strengthen the church. And when you put all three of those together, we can see prophecy is a very personal and, and practical in how it touches us. Now, you've probably been sitting in a service, not necessarily this one, but probably this one, Because I've heard this before. You hear the word of God being expounded to your heart, to your life, and you have gone through something in your last week, and all of a sudden, the words that are being spoken, the word that's being preached, the word of God that comes out, all, excuse me, all of a sudden, it hits you right here, and you're going like, that's the very thing I was dealing with this last week. How did he know that's what my deal was? I've had people come to me and go like, Uh, were you standing outside our living room window last night listening to what was going on in our home? No, I wasn't. But how does that work? It's not me. It's not any other preacher. It is the Spirit of God working with His Word to bring to your heart what you need at that moment to move you closer to God and further away from sin. So, as Paul says, the one who prophesies builds up the church. In contrast, those who speak in tongues edify only themselves. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I want you to hear me. It's not bad if you have the gift of tongues and you use it because there is something that happens that is so unbelievable within the spirit of the person who has the ability to and the gift of tongues in their life. But apparently, the the church in Corinth was so enamored with the gift that they'd forgotten the truths Paul had reviewed to them in chapter 13, that they were to pursue love, which was to control and define every expression of gifts in their church. They were edifying or building up only themselves and with their gifts but they weren't, con- and they weren't concerned one little bit for the education or the building up of the whole church. They were glorying in this supernatural manifestation, being able to speak in a language that they had never learned, but they seemed to be a- unaware of its place or its purpose because there's a place and a purpose for it. They were just enjoying their own personal, internal worship life. Now, there's the benefit to the individual who's praising God in a language they've never learned or heard before is that their spirit is praising God and therefore they have been blessed in the inner person and are refreshed even though they don't know sometimes what they've even been praising God about. It just revives them. And it's a great thing. But the gifts are for the benefit Of others. So if we take this gift and we only use it without interpretations for ourselves, it is self centered. It ignores the needs of others. It is uh, denying this whole appeal to act in love, to make love your aim, which is to build up and bless and strengthen others around you. So prophesying, as Paul says, edifies the church. Therefore, it fulfills the demand of love. So let's move on to verses 4 and 5. We're only going to go to verse 19. (laughs) I better get on my high horse. The Corinthians... Oh, oh, I guess I better read the verse. I'm really moving now. Now I want you all to speak in tongues. But even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, I'm going to stop right there because I'm going to put a little side note in here. This one's for free. Both of these gifts have a caution that comes with them. Because it can create a sense of pride or arrogance, spiritual arrogance, in the person that has those gifts. And where arrogance and pride is, love is absent. That's why Paul says pursue love. Love has to be your aim in using the gift so that you don't become a prideful, arrogant, spiritual, you know what I mean, person. So, um, Paul's the Corinthians' expression of tongues was detrimental to their listening to the prophetic exposition of the Word of God, and Paul's going to hit that problem face head on. He's going to come and do it, and he's going to amplify his comparison of tongues and prophecy, and we'll look at their relative value in the terms of the speaker, in terms of the people, and finally, in terms of nonbelievers who might be a part of the faith community at any given worship service. So, look at this. Look how fast we're going. We're going to go through verses 6 through 12 now. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, how will I benefit benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as a flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played and if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if, you, with, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So we're going to kind of go back and just walk through these things very quickly because Paul kind of uses his himself as an example to begin with. And he's basically saying, what good is it for me to stand up and praise God and, and tell you all the glories of God in an unknown language without an interpretation, it produces nothing for the heart or for the, it doesn't build up the church. But he says, if I could do it, and you would profit if I did these four one of these four things in it. First, it might he says that I might bring you a revelation. This was his privilege as an apostle. Christ had taught him truths others did not know. And that's why the writings of the New Testament are apostolic revelation. They would have blessed. The, the, he would have blessed the the church tremendously with that revelation. Or second, he could have shared something of knowledge. And what I think he's referring to here is if you remember, Paul was a rabbi. He was uh, a Pharisee. He was very learned in Old Testament scripture. And so what he was saying is the knowledge I have of the Old Testament, I could have brought one of those Old Testament stories to you and taught you the truth of God from that. That would be the knowledge that he's referring to. And then the the third one is he could have prophesied to them, standing up and making a proclamation of the glories of Jesus Christ and explaining to them who Jesus is and how he fits into their life. And the fourth thing he simply said was that he could have taught them. And I think in that he means he could have brought to them and explained in detail certain doctrinal matters that would have helped them to understand the whole range and spectrum of divine instruction. And that would have helped them immensely. But simply to stand up and speak in tongues without an interpretation would have produced nothing. So he goes on and he has these two other pictures that he wants us to understand. The first one is he's talking about instruments, the the flute or the harp or in our case, the piano or a guitar. I could go over to the piano, and I could play a bunch of notes on the piano, and it would sound like nothing to you. You'd go, what was that? Or I could pick up a guitar. I could play a few notes, because I still remember a few chords. But because I've got lousy rhythm, and I haven't played in a long time, it wouldn't mean anything to you. It would just be notes. And so the idea behind what Paul's sit talking about here on those two instruments is, is that we have been given a gift like an instrument. And it has to be used in order to bring something to the ears that is intelligible. Then the other part he uses is the bugle. Now this is really important because he says if you don't play the right notes on the bugle... Calling people to go to battle, they'll be sitting in their tents drinking tea when the enemy descends upon them and slaughters them. Because they won't have, they'll hear something blaring and they're going to go, does that sound like a battle cry? No, that's not the battle, battle cry. No, nah, that's not it. Uh, I think that's uh, high tea time. So let's just continue having tea and crumpets. And they would get slaughtered. And so the, the, person on the bugle has to know exactly the right notes to call in order to get people to go to battle or to come for dinner or to get up in the morning or to go bed at night. It's important to understand that if it's an indistinct noise, it doesn't do any good for anyone. And that's what Paul's talking about in regards to tongues. But then he goes on to say that there are many languages. And here again is a confirmation that the gift of tongues is a gift of languages. And Paul says that those languages have meaning but you cannot get the meaning if you do not know the language. Somebody has to interpret it for you, or, or it's a waste of time. You must have it explained, or it's of no value. Unless God does another miracle in the ears of the person. And I've only heard of this one time. And I read it in an autobiography of a missionary who was in South America. And he went down there. He did not know the language at all. And he immersed himself into a village. And he lived there with them for years, learning their language. And then when he learned their language, then he started to bring the gospel to them. But the neighboring village were mortal enemies. And they would kill each other if they saw each other on the trail. And the chief of the village that he was in, had come to the place of saving knowledge of Jesus. And one day when he was walking down the path, he bumped into the chief of his arch-rival, arch-enemy tribe. His arch-enemy, the other chief and him, stood face-to-face. They didn't speak the same language. And the chief who had come to Christ started to declare the glories of God, and God did a miracle, and the other chief heard the message in his ears, in his own language, although the other one was not speaking it. And when he spoke in his own language, the other one understood what he was saying. And out of that, the other tribe got the message, the gospel message of Jesus, and the whole tribe came to faith in Christ. That's what God does with languages. And I've never heard that happening again. I've never read it or heard it from anybody else. (coughs) But what we do know that when there is an utterance of tongues, somebody has to interpret it for you. We must have it explained, or it seemingly has no value to us, just to the person giving it. Let's move on to verses 13 through 15. And here he's telling (laughs) the individual who's speaking in tongues to pray for the power to interpret so that the communication will be intelligible even to himself. Did you ever think about that? Because really what Paul's... Here, let's read it first before I get in. Therefore, anyone who speaks in tongues should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praises with my spirit, but I also sing praise with my mind. In other words, what he is saying is, is that ask God to give you the interpretation because from what I know, I haven't experienced, but from what I know, you may have the the gift of tongues and you may you may praise God, you may even sing to God, you may even pray to God in a language, but if you don't have the interpretation your mind is not engaged in what you're doing. And Paul's basically saying, don't check your mind at the door. Ask God to intervene and to help you to understand exactly what it is that you're saying and what you're praying. That way it will be of not just uh, greater value to you, but greater value to those around you. And then what we're doing is we're using the gift that's going to help to build up the body. And, And so what... um, What he is saying applies is the same principle to other believers in the church. He basically says that tongues without interpretation excludes people. And that's not what worship is about. Worship includes everyone. Now you're all going like, I've never heard anyone speak in tongues in our church or pray in tongues or sing in tongues. In our church. Well, that's okay. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Because I I know we have people here with the gift of tongues. And I appreciate their gift of tongues because it ministers to my soul. Even though I don't know what they're saying, my spirit connects with their spirit. And I know that they're praying to God in a very unique and special way. And there may even be things that they're saying that they don't know that they're saying. Our utterances from the Holy Spirit, groans that are going up into the throne room of God, on behalf of this church, and that's really important. It's really valuable. Worship includes; it's inclusive. To others, not exclusive. Verses sixteen and seventeen. Man, I am just cruising. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Okay, I'm going to try and wrap this up here real quick. Obviously, as we look at this passage, we don't have the issue... That the Corinthian church had. Do we? No. Uh, There's not an, uh, an over exaltation of the gift of tongues. You've not heard that here. You've not seen that here. People in our church who have the gift of tongues. They are mature Christians. They know how to use it. When to use it. Where to use it for the glory of God. So how does this then apply to us? How does this whole idea of tongues apply to us? Well, I'm going to take and make a little bit of a shift. Now, I'm not really reaching that far. But I want you to listen to me. Because in the church in general, I'm talking about nationwide in the U.S. The church itself has its own language. We speak in what would be called Christianese. And we'll bump into other believers downtown or wherever and we'll go, Hallelujah, brother! Praise Jesus, the Lamb! The Lamb of was slain! Glory to His name! Glory, glory! Hallelujah! Did you feel this kind of glory of the Lord God Almighty and people that are non-believers are going like Right? Because that's what, was, that's what they were accused of in, the chap, in, in Acts chapter 2. When they spoke in tongues, they were accused of being drunk so early in the morning. But we do. We have our own language in the church. And the problem that we have is we use that language without ever taking into consideration the people that are around us. When you have a new believer and you start talking about uh, regeneration, you talk about... Um, propitiation, you start talking about all these theological terms, they're clueless. They have no idea what you're talking about. And you know what the problem of that is, is that it's not building up to the church. There's no love ushered into those kind of conversations where we're using a, a Christian vocabulary or a theological vernacular around people that have no clue what you're talking about you know what happens when when you start talking in christianese and theological terms around new believers or people who aren't christians do you know what happens they check out of the conversation and we've lost the opportunity to build the body of christ and so i think when i look at this passage and i hear what peter or paul is saying to us Paul is telling us to be let love drive every conversation that we have with those in the body of Christ. Because our conversation should be building them up spiritually. It should be bringing encouragement to their hearts. It should be coming along and and putting our arm around them with sensitivity, giving them counsel that's going to help them to walk closer with Jesus. That is the importance of what God is calling us to do. And so we may not be exercising the gift of tongues Openly, like maybe some churches do, but what we do is we exercise the gift of Christian ease and we talk in languages and that people just don't understand. They don't get it and they're, they're no further, they're no closer to Jesus when they walk out of the conversation than when they walked into it. And that is a sin. Every time we open up our mouths, when we have other people around, we should be aware of who they are, where they've come from, where they're at and their stage Or in their journey with Jesus. So that we can speak to build them up. To bring encouragement. To slip our arm around them and say, this is the way in which you should walk. Let me walk with you. That's what we're to do. Because when you do that, guess what you're doing? You're prophesying. You're using the word of God as he intended it for it to happen. That's why I love these last two verses, 18 and 19. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Obviously, Paul really had the gift of tongues. And it sounds like he used it a lot. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Do you get that? If you're going to say five words to somebody else in this body, let them be building up. Let them be encouraging. Let them be tender and supportive of the person. Five words. Now, I'm going to challenge you. Because it is a little bit amazing to me. It seems to happen throughout my week, just about every week. There is someone who will come to me and goes, hey, do you know so-and-so? They sit in that section right over there, and, and they have that color of hair, and they're about, you know, that tall, and they've got this many people in their family or, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah, that's so-and-so. Oh, are they new? No, they've been coming to our church for over a year. Oh. Oh. I guess I really don't know them. I guess I've never seen them before. You know what? That's really not an expression of the love, agape love that God's calling us to. And and, and, and what we can create in here, and I hope we never do, God forbid, we create a sense of comfort. I want you to be comforted by the Holy Spirit. But when F.J., You guys don't know who that is. That's Father John, Pastor John. When PJ, when he says, after we've sung our first worship set, and he says, hey, welcome to Wind River Community Church. We love you. There are people maybe you don't know, people you haven't met. We've got guests with us today. Get up. Go get a cup of coffee. Go love on somebody. What he is effectively saying is, get out of your comfort zone. Go over and put your hand out and say, Hi, my name's Ken. Who are you? I am so glad you came to church today. You want to be, new, be my new best friend? I'll, I'll Facebook you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't do that. That'll creep them out. But find out something about them. Start to learn who they are. Find Because we have a bunch of people in here this morning that don't know each other. They don't know. I mean, you can find simple things out in five minutes. One of the best things you can say is, you know, Hi, my name's Ken. Who are you? Glad you're here today. I'm just so glad that you are part of this church. Is there any way I can pray for you this week? That's love in action. That's what God calls us to do. Amen? All right, so here's, here's what we're going to do. Here's our reflective question. what can you do to bring edification or build up the the church that expresses God's word in a loving action? You have to know God's word in order to express it lovingly to someone else. What is it that you can do to build up the church? Number two, who needs a word of exhortation or encouragement? Someone you can slip your arm, arm around and say, I will walk with you in the truth of God's word. There's someone. And third, oh man, I messed that up. Sorry. It's not working you, us, it's working you, use the ability to comfort somebody with tenderness and hope, to empathize with that person, to give sensitive counsel, to build them up in their faith journey. Where can you use the ability that God's given you for the church? One person. We do it by one person at a time. The worst thing that could ever happen in this church is for somebody to walk out of the back of these doors and never have somebody come and give them a loving word of encouragement in this church. should never happen. So I want all of you big huggers and encouragers to block the back doors when the service is over, hug every single person going out the doors. (laughs) Amen to that, right? All right. (coughs) Lord, we thank you that you've called us not just to hear these words, but to step up, to participate in them, to act upon them, to make them a part of our everyday life, that we would excel in using prophecy in the appropriate way that you've called us to in this church, that each one of us would become a prophet in our own way, and that your gift of prophecy would overwhelm not just this church but our community. And we look forward to what we're going to do now around the communion table. Bless our time, we pray in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. That was encouraging, wasn't it?